0: Hello and welcome to the Upon Further Review podcast brought to you by Field Street Baptist Church. On this podcast, your host Cody Kitchen sits across the table from Dr. John Hall as he reviews his Sunday sermon from the week before. Welcome to Upon Further Review podcast. I'm your host, Cody Kitchen, and this is the show that takes a deep dive in the Pastor John's sermon from the Sunday before. Today we're talking about Luke chapter 22, verse 1 through 6, with the title of the message, The Eternally Predestined Treachery of Judas. And joined with me, as always, is Dr. John Hall.
1: Good afternoon, everyone.
0: As always, we have a great That Stupid segment. Yes. And it's not about the Super Bowl. No. Kind of. No, it's not. So make sure to stay and find out what's stupid today.
1: Stick around.
0: So let's get this episode started. As you... Prepared this message. What are some things that came to mind?
1: Well, I wonder how many people will notice that I'm going to leap over several texts of Scripture to arrive at Luke 22, verses 1 through 6.
0: Probably none. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So I was like, oh, boy, that'll be a left turn for a lot of folks because I don't normally skip (laughs) texts. But I needed to simply because I want to get us aligned So that on Resurrection Sunday, a.k.a. Easter Sunday, we are at that Easter text in the Scripture. So it'll parallel with that. So I needed to leapfrog to get us into the passion narratives that'll walk us through the the final few days of the life of Christ. So that's what was going through my mind.
0: What a great idea. Yeah, thanks. Great plan. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I know I say this a lot, but I just—I'm always intrigued by your— your titles of the sermons and this one yet again. I don't even think you had to preach the title of the message. I, know I was really short, proud of that.
1: <laughs> I know I shouldn't be, but I was really proud of that title. That's a $5 title Man, right that's there. that's good. Yeah. I'm telling
0: you. Thank you. But <laughs> I could talk about that all day. You started on Sunday uh, with your sermon by asking a question, Why did Judas betray our Lord? And you answered this question throughout your sermon by identifying key passages in this text. And I want to focus on what you said about in verse three. You said that in verse three, we see that Satan entered Judas and you gave us these key ideas of who Judas was. And then you brought the question, well, why Judas? Why did Satan enter Judas? And you make this fantastic point that Satan gained direct control over Judas on two separate occasions. Once before Judas arranged, with the chief priests, and again during the Last Supper. And you say this, quote, Judas was a willing partner in this treachery. The heart of Judas was already dark, unquote. So my question, and you went into a lot more detail specifically about this, but my question is simply, what does this verse tell us about Satan and the attack that he has on humanity?
1: Right. Well, first of all, we would be wise to consider what the scripture teaches us that satan does exist he is real he's not a a figment of our imagination or some cartoon figure i don't think he goes about the earth with a horns and a pitchfork and a pointy tail like that's i think he wants us to think that but he's far more deceptive than that he's a he masquerades as an angel of light but directly to answer your question uh, he is the arch enemy of God and God's people. And so the for all the marbles, I mean, he went for it. It was like fourth down on the one yard line, no timeouts, eight seconds, you get one play <laughs> and you got to get the ball in the end zone, right? Yeah. And I think he's a dangerous enemy because he's desperate he, and he knows he's going to get whipped. And we know how the book ends. We know that Christ on the cross was victorious over evil, sin and death, the arch enemies of God's people. And so I think if if nothing else it tells us he's a real legit enemy intent on destroying us. And he it was an all out assault on Christ, full frontal assault. And as I commented in the sermon that it appears from Luke at least that Satan had been kind of quiet since Luke chapter 4, and here we have him in chapter 22, so that's, what, 18 chapters where it appears nothing's going on with him, but he had been on the major defensive because Jesus was assaulting, casting out demons, dealing with evil, dealing with disease and dread and all these things that Satan and his minions work up. So now was his time to go on offense And you can't hardly blame him in in one sense because if he can get Christ here, then, you know, it all comes off the rails. But to the glory of God, Jesus was very obedient and faithful right to the it is finished and into thy hands I commit my spirit. Praise God, and, and we all should be grateful for the Lord's getting to the finish line. And I think Satan is definitely on the offensive with all of us. And I think he's a, a very incredible student of human nature. I don't think he's, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything, but he's he's definitely clever and shrewd. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He's not omnipresent like God is, but he can move around in different ways than we can, obviously. Um, and he's formidable, but he's not omnipotent like God. So I would encourage people not to con- not to think of God and Satan as just this dualistic mm-hmm. sense that That's good. they're the same, just on opposite sides of the field. You no, know, like Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil, mm-hmm. and the devil can't do anything God does not permit him to do. He he's still under the authority and rule of God. So I think we would be wise to realize we have an enemy and he wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy you, your families, the church. So he's a serious enemy. I don't know if that's really answering your question, but the, it was strategic in my view of what Satan was doing here. He He saw his opportunity and he used Judas because Judas was not a believer. He was not born again. He was not a convert, so he could... You know, it was already there in Judas's heart, and he just exploited that yeah. and used Judas whatever and, you know I laid out what some of the motives are or were that have been considered through the years by Bible <clears throat> scholars and theologians, you know why did he do this right. And you know you got to pick, <laughs> but for me, as I read the text, and I'm not the only one it wasn't original with me, you've you got to look at something much bigger and grander is definitely at play here and it's all being orchestrated carefully by the divine. Yeah. So.
0: That's good. And you You go on, to and that's what we're going to talk about in a bit, about how there's something bigger going on. Mm-hmm. And I just find it so interesting, and not to ask another question, but I just find it so interesting as you look throughout Scripture, where especially like in Old Testament, we you specifically see it in Job, but even more than that, and then even in the New Testament where we see God allows Satan to – attack quote unquote his his people and we see this in in judas as well where he enters him and obviously it's allowed by god and it's always just so interesting and fascinating to me not to get into the weed of things but that you know this story specifically is before jesus died and resurrected and crushed satan and mm-hmm. as we see through prophecy and so it's interesting to me did you know satan obviously didn't because he's not eternal he's not sovereign didn't this was more of like he thinking he's winning or thinking that he beat him. Whereas Mm -hmm. now in the, where we are in this age with Christ now resurrecting is he knows he's defeated. Mm -hmm. And so he's getting anyone he can to, to come with him. Yeah. Um, And so I just find it interesting that, you know, there's, I guess I could be wrong in this thought, but that there's two different, you know, Satan's trying, as you said, the defensive, trying to Mm -hmm. take a stand where now he's just trying to get as many people Mm -hmm. as possible. And it's just so, interesting that Satan or Satan, that, excuse me, that God allows Satan to do what he's doing mm-hmm. because he is all-knowing, mm-hmm. all-powerful God. Yeah. Um, right. So yeah. that's where that question came from and I think you nailed it right on the head. <laughs> um, but in, in going with that, you tell us that <laughs> Judas's purpose was to strike at Jesus, but God had greater purpose to redeem, mm. which is powerful. And you tell us that there was something bigger going on. You say that God had eternally predestined Judas to act out this treachery. And I think for the average person, I'm not saying we're above average, but I just think in general the average person hearing this, you know, that God predestined Judas for this treachery can be alarming. You know, and but I think you explained it well that it's the doctrine of concurrence, and you, I'm not going to do half a good job as you did, but you tell us that it's simply the idea that two parties can act in the same event and produce a given outcome without all parties having the same intent. And you went into a lot more detail um, in that in the sermon. So if you want to know more, go listen to the sermon. Exactly. Um, but you go on further to state that God works through the evil intent of others to fulfill his good intent. I think it's important to pause and just say, what a mighty God that we serve. Mm-hmm. The fact that he uses evil, evil um, in general for his purpose and his good. Um, and, and in that you say, the treacherous action of Judas was not an accident nor coincidental, but was planned, was predestined from eternity, end quote. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, what does this show us about God and how can we shift our hearts to see this about Him?
1: Right, I think one of the realities it shows us about God is His sovereignty. He really does rule and reign over all things. He leaves nothing to chance. There is no randomness about life from the perspective of God. And I, I don't know, I think for For me, and I suppose for a lot of people it just induces a worship in your heart. how, How great is God that he can see the end from the beginning and he established it all, ordained it all and what he decrees is going to happen and you can't thwart it, I can't thwart it. Man and his evil actions cannot thwart the decrees of Almighty God. So to me, it just establishes how, indeed, transcendent God is over and above his creation, his creatures. So it's, I don't know, it, it should evoke awe from Absolutely. God's people for sure. Um, I don't know what's going to happen an hour from now. I mean, I'd like to think I, I can plan, try to organize my day and time in such a way that this is the outcome. But you know it may or may not work out. sure so I, I think what it tells us about God is just how great he is and what it should stir in our hearts is this desire to worship Him and to do our best with his help to obey him because obedience really is the essence of our demonstrating our love for God. So Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me So if you you say you love God but you're not you know you're not really interested in any kind of Obedience, you know. So I, I think for me, that's what it stirs in in my heart and thinking is, um, you know, intellectually I'm already in awe of God because I just I can't comprehend Him. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm trying. I'm not even getting close, not even remotely. And then in my heart, it just stirs a sense of awe and reverence, and God is so grand and fast, I, I can't comprehend him, how he can, how he sees everything and every detail is attended to. What blows my mind is that, that between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, Bible scholars believe that there's a 400 year period, it's called the intertestamental period. And so for 400 years, God said nothing. And then Christ comes along onto the, the stage at just the right and perfect time according to the plan of God and everything that happened as it related to Christ in his life, his ministry, his death, even his crucifixion was all foretold by the prophets 400 plus years before it ever happened. That's a that's a big deal. Yeah. And it just screams the greatness of God Amen. on on so many levels. It's actually kind of mind-blowing. You know, yeah. I mean, we're immersed in it all the time, you know, you're going to seminary and You know, we're with our Bible and commentaries, and so it's the world we live in, and it's a wonderful world to live in. But, you know, even with that advantage, you stumble on something like this,
0: and you have to step back and go, wow, that's amazing. That's for sure. Yeah. It's interesting to me, and this is just a personal thought, but as as we continue to study God's Word just in general and for me personally, it always blows my mind, and I can't explain it. And I don't think anybody can explain it. Is why God chooses at certain times for to unveil the, the eyes of reading something, mm-hmm. even though you've read it for thousands of times, mm-hmm. and you read it this one time and it clicks. Yes. Why I, I I can't explain it, but even just Sunday, as this you know, as you were preaching, I was like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Like yes, it's because of the time you spend and the way you unpack it, but also it's because the spirit that God is speaking through you and that's the main thing. uh, Unveiling it. And I'm just always in awe that how God continues to speak to his people Mm -hmm. and in time speaks to us, not in different ways that his word changes. That's not what I'm saying, but speaks to us in different ways of in the time of our lives, as we're learning, as we're growing, what we're going through, he unveils that knowledge and and allows it to pierce the hearts. Mm-hmm. And so it's always just so interesting to me that that's how he speaks and loves his people is yeah. to c- continue to conform our hearts and knowledge of him mm-hmm. um, to continue to pursue and pursue him. Yes, so, very good. Um, I don't know. Just, we could talk about this all probably the <laughs> whole time, but always continue to be in all of him. And
1: I thought it was interesting yeah. too, Sunday, when I said, how many of you have heard of the doctrine of concurrence? Not one hand came up. So I love it when I have the opportunity, as I've been learning, to share what I've been learning with the congregation and to enrich their own theology. The Bible is so deep. and Sometimes I feel like, man, we're just barely scratching the surface. Then you run up against that doctrine, which is, you know, wow, it's hard to understand. One man came up to me after the service and said, that was way over my head. <laughs> I was like, I doubt that because he's an intelligent man. But I get what he was saying. Because sure. if you've not heard that before, you're like, wow, where'd you come up with that? Yeah, um, It's been around for a while, so it's not a, even remotely new with me. But it's an interesting way of looking at what's going on. That the same event can be happening, but there are two intents in this case, one intent to destroy Christ, and the other intent is through Christ and his death to redeem God, uh, the people of God. Hmm. So God operates on so many way different yeah. levels than we're operating on.
0: That's for sure. Yes. And I'm glad he is. Yeah, praise <laughs> God. for sure. And it's interesting. You continue to state that Jesus' death was a divine necessity, not a mistake. And you tell us that it's not because of official Judaism or even Satan that God's son had to die. And I think I appreciate that you drilled this home that Jesus went willingly to his brutal death because God ordained it. This was a divine necessity. Um, and for us, we get to live in Christ because of what he did on the cross. And we have grace in our lives because of that. And, um, and so you say... There are one thousand and one ways in which we have betrayed the Lord Jesus, and so my question is: What does this truth say about the grace that we receive from Jesus?
1: Well, I'm, what I'm going to say is going to sound really trot, but it's the best way to say it. I think it really grace is amazing. Hmm. Now, the problem is we use the word amazing too much. Uh, you can say, "Hey, how was that pizza? It was amazing." What'd you think of the Super Bowl? It was amazing. Um, you see a good movie. It was amazing. There are very few things that really are amazing. And grace, perhaps we should reserve that word for grace because it is amazing. That God saves any of us is amazing. And that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross as our substitute to atone for our sins and pay our sin debt so that if we will repent and believe in Him, we can be reconciled to God. That is amazing. Right. There's no other word for it. It's astonishing. I mean, it's shocking. It's, it's the greatest thing ever. And grace is amazing. And It's because of grace we get what we do not deserve, which is a relationship with God through Christ and the riches and glories that come with knowing Jesus as Savior. And mercy is not receiving what we rightfully deserve. So we get grace and mercy, and it's at the cross that we see the grace and the love and severity of God. It intersects right there at Golgotha, Mm -hmm. and we ought to be amazed. I, I mean, I just, you know, we're just maybe too careless with the word amazing. I don't think that's we're going good. around deliberately trying to do that. It's just some words get in our vocabulary and we use them. All. Oh, that's amazing. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. so, that's a good point. Our, not everything is as amazing as we think it might be. Yeah, it's good. So, you know, grace really is <laughs> wow. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that yeah. saved a wretch like me.
0: That's amazing. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, I have to be careful how I say this. And um, But uh, when I was getting this ready, and even as you were preaching Sunday, I was thinking, you know, it's we hear it a lot in the Christian circle as we talk to nonbelievers. But a lot, big question that comes a lot is how can a good God allow bad things to happen? You know, we've all heard this. And I always go back to, and this made me think about it, of his grace. <laughs> I mean, the fact that he even chooses us and saves us. Mm-hmm. Is the question the answer to that question is a good God allows us to be Mm -hmm. a part of his story part of his plan I mean I'm not using that as an overarching argument Mm -hmm. my point though is just to drive in what you're saying is that his grace is truly amazing right the fact we even get to be a part of it and yes there's evil things there are things that happen that we don't fully understand but what we can not really understand but know is that he gives us grace Mm -hmm. so that we can live with him hmm. and his, he gives us his spirit to be able to do that and, right um, i don't know that that is truly amazing that it and it is just, it's it's just a driving home your point um, yeah it grace
1: grace is amazing and like stephen curtis chapman he has a song called speechless and it, it does leave us speechless you know like paul said it, i was talking about it this morning in rut that paul said that he was the worst of sinners. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I mean, I don't look at Paul and go, yeah, that guy, he's the worst. (laughs) Not at all. But Paul, I think genuinely so, thought of himself as the worst of sinners. And he was a trophy of the grace of God. And I think Paul would say, yeah, grace is amazing.
0: That's good. Well, as we close, what are some final thoughts?
1: I hope people go back and read that text again, Amen. and maybe even listen to the sermon again, or listen to the sermon and then go back and read the text. Sometimes the sermon is a helpful commentary to help you understand the text, and I would urge people to really lean into these last few chapters of Luke, because we, we are leapfrogging. I'll circle back to our original place where we left off two Sundays ago, but... And get back to those texts, but I, I challenged the congregation two weeks ago. Please read, you know, the next four chapters so that you can be immersed in that world uh, of what that week must have been like for Jesus. It was one unbelievable week. Sure. His last week here on earth. And we're gonna get to the Passover this Sunday and then the rest, the trials, the crucifixion, and then the burial, and of course the resurrection. So we're going to be feasting.
0: gonna be good. Yep. Look forward to it. Yep. God's Word is a feast, man. Now for our That Stupid segment where we tell you what's stupid. Yes. So today we're told we can't bring up the Super Bowl, so we decided, <laughs> fine, we'll talk about the commercials. <laughs> and it was about, the, I think about the third quarter, if you were watching the Super Bowl. And one of our favorite topics is betting. Bet responsibly, drink responsibly, (laughs) as we talked about a few episodes ago. Yeah. But one of the episodes, there was a fan duel um, where Rob Gronkowski was kicking the field goal, and people bet whether he was going to make it or miss it, or if he made it. I don't know the whole thing. But during this commercial at the end, at the bottom, you know those, like, I don't know what they're called, like the close caption. disclaimers, The disclaimer. The bottom, it said, have a betting problem, (laughs) question mark? Call this number yeah, That's so on a fan FanDuel I
1: know. betting. Yeah, um, that's stupid. <laughs>
0: commercial. That's it's, stupid
1: on another level.
0: It, it is very stupid. <laughs> you're you're encouraging gambling, but yet saying if, if you, you have, have a problem, gambling problem, call us. <laughs> I, I yeah. don't fully understand. That's
1: that. really yeah.
0: I, yeah. I feel like that's stupid. That's
1: world class stupid. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of sad that our football season's ending.
1: Yeah, I don't know. We may have to extend our football analogies because they really do provide us they a do. lot of that stupid. I think it's stupid that over 50 million Americans bet on some level on Sunday's game. Yeah. And that was like, what, $16 billion raked in on sports betting. I'm proud to say, as I said this morning in Rut, I didn't spend a dime. I didn't lose a dime. (laughs) That's a good thing. That makes me smart. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. They didn't give me a doctorate for nothing,
0: people. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't get that over the weekend. That's right. Thanks for joining us. And to end the session, remember, make Christ known by what you say and how you live. Have a great week. Thank you all for listening. And be sure to subscribe to Upon Further Review so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions, please be sure to reach out to us at info@fieldstreet.com. At Thanks for tuning in.